Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our Vita podcast, where we're going to help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans into space. My name is Chris Perkins. I'm a combat Marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into crypto myself. And before we begin, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, who have dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. For our 17th episode, we'll be speaking with Naval Flight Officer Adam Vanden Bogard, Business Development Director at Copper. Welcome, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Chris. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to be here and, and to chat today and to you know, join a distinguished list of, uh, of past guests. No, I really appreciate it. So as we get started, uh, tell us about your background. Yeah, I grew up uh, in a relatively small town in Colorado, and I think from from kind of a very early age was was fascinated by aviation. Uh, you know, in terms of family history, both of my grandfathers served. Uh, one is an air traffic controller in the Air Force in in Okinawa, Japan, and for the Federal Aviation Administration for thirty or thirty five years. Uh, the town that I grew up in is actually home to to the FAA's Denver Center, so their Air Route Traffic Control Center. Uh, he was a private pilot, always kind of loved sharing his experiences. Uh, my dad was in the Navy as a, as a nuclear submariner, spent time in Hawaii, Washington State, did his training in, in South Carolina. So I think, you know, despite a, a family history of, uh, of service, right, there was never any kind of pressure to serve. In fact, it was, it was probably quite the opposite. It was very kind of organic in the way that they kind of you know, relived their experiences through story. Uh, they kind of made the idea of service and, and the military kind of an intriguing career choice. I think I was always, I guess, fascinated by, uh, you know, complexity. I learned to play the piano when I was young, picked up the guitar and, and taught myself how to play that later in life. And I think when you look at those instruments, there's almost this kind of, you know, unlimited combination of notes and sounds and, and complexity that was always something that kind of piqued my interest. And you know, it was kind of that same feeling I got when I, I peered into the cockpit of an airplane for the first time. When you look at the, you know, the number of dials and knobs and, and switches and circuit breakers and controls was uh, a little overwhelming, I think, in a, in a very exciting way. And it was something that I wanted to master. So it's something I wanted to do and, and to be really good at. And I think my was very fortunate and that my, my parents kind of fostered that interest as well. We attended air shows. We'd go to the Air Ventures in Oshkosh in Wisconsin, which is one of the bigger uh, aviation celebrations in the world. We get to see the B-2, uh, get to see the Blue Angels, get to see the Thunderbirds. I was always so impressed by that. And I don't know how you could how you could not be. So uh, I think, you know, at a very young age, I, I knew I wanted to fly airplanes for a living. I think my mom mentioned, uh, I very distinctly recall, she you know, kind of sat me down and said, you know, flight training is very expensive. Uh, if, if you want to fly airplanes for a living, uh, you know, you really ought to consider, you know, the military as, as a choice for that. Um, you know, not only do they get to fly the most advanced and, and coolest aircraft in the world, but, you know, they also receive the best training. So uh, I think that probably in turn sparked my interest in, in kind of the Federal Service Academies, March Marine, Annapolis, West Point uh, and others. Uh, and she'd mentioned effectively that, you know, of, of all the military branches that the Navy had, had the best pilots, uh, that they refer to themselves as aviators and that they're you know widely considered to be the best because they land airplanes on ships, which uh, is probably the most uh, incredible and, and crazy thing you could possibly try to do in an airplane. So, uh, you know, during, during the daytime itself and then forget about it at nighttime. So I think you, you fast forward a couple of decades and I'm sure she probably regretted making that point uh, because there I was launching off the, the front of an aircraft carrier 
uh, you know, flying combat in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I'm sure she she never imagined that the that would be the result of her recommendation years later. But um, you know, probably getting getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But yeah, I think for me, in terms of that that kind of background and, and lead up into the aviation space, right? Always, I think, transfixed by by a couple of different things, which is, you know, I wanted to do two things in college. I wanted to play baseball uh, at the collegiate level, and I wanted to go to the service academy. And those those kind of became the two focal points for me uh, growing up. I was very fortunate, you know. I think that I was able to land a nomination and an appointment to the to the Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point. Uh, I got a, an incredible education there, and, and the opportunity to to travel the world on merchant container ships and, and get kind of a I guess an unmatched level of, of kind of uh, a hands-on experience, the chance to, to visit some pretty cool and, and pretty spectacular places. I was on a Mediterranean route, so I got to visit Egypt and Italy, Turkey, Spain, Sardinia, Israel, uh, kind of a unique way to, to spend a college experience. So um, in terms of kind of that military journey out of the academy, I was fortunate enough to land a, a Navy aviation contract as a, as a Naval flight officer and was off to Pensacola, Florida for, for flight training. I think the uh, easiest way to describe what a naval flight officer does in the space is, is to make a, a Top Gun reference. So forgive me, it's uh, Goose, the character made famous by, by Anthony Edwards, is the naval flight officer that, that flies with Maverick. So in, in the tactical air community, the, the naval flight officer NFO runs the communications, the weapon systems, the navigation, uh, and does that all from the backseat. So uh, you know, did that in, in Pensacola through flight training, was selected for TAC Air, got to fly EA-6B Prowlers uh, as, a, as an NFO. So that's the Navy's electronic attack jet designed to you know, jam enemy radar, gather radio intelligence on, on the enemy air defense systems, and uh, did that as what they refer to as an electronic countermeasure officer in the, in the Prowler. Uh, so based up in Whidbey Island, Washington, our air wing is assigned to the, the USS Abraham Lincoln. Uh, we did a couple of combat deployments to the Middle East got the chance to, to fly and, and command combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan, all in support of uh, Operation Enduring Freedom and, and Operation New Dawn. In and out of the Persian Gulf a handful of times from the Straits of Hormuz, uh, despite some some uh, rhetoric and warnings from Iran not to do that. Uh, and then our last deployment was was actually an, an around-the-world deployment. Uh, so we did the Suez Canal Transit, uh, which was pretty cool. So we went from west coast of the u.s all the way around the world to the east coast and then flew back up into uh, to washington state so that was the that was the the active duty journey uh until the last couple of years where i was actually asked to to transition from the ea6b to the ea18g uh as an instructor the growler is was effectively the the follow-on to the to the ea6b so it was a brand new electronic attack jet specialized version of the you know the two-seat f-18 super hornet uh, so it was impossible to say no to kind of that opportunity in a like a very sexy aircraft with all the, the bells and whistles so completed the transition stuck around as an instructor uh, had the chance to teach new pilots and, and flight officers how to fly how to fight the aircraft uh, so it was a super cool experience to kind of get to share my wartime experience and and kind of knowledge with new aviators so we took those new pilots to the aircraft carrier for the first time uh, so between that i guess and and fighting a war probably is where the majority of my gray hairs can can be attributed to but that's kind of my journey from, I think, college into into military. So essentially, to sum up, you were a guitar playing goose at the end of the day. <laughs> right, right. So goose has a piano, I'll take the guitar. There you go. So when you were in the military, Adam, were there any particular formative moments for you or, or things that or particular anecdotes that later shaped your career? 
Um, I mean, I think there's a bunch. I think it starts at the academy, right? You learn things like time management. You learn how to compartmentalize. Uh, you learn about teamwork and how to achieve kind of a common goal. I think on the when you fly in combat, it's, it's a very humbling experience. You kind of get the experience to put yourself in, in harm's way or an extremist to, to aid others who are probably in a worse situation or more grave predicament than, than you are. So kind of reinforces that idea of kind of selfless service. Uh, we did have we had a, an emergency landing that we had to do at one point in, in Kandahar, which is kind of towards the southern portion of, of Afghanistan. So we spent uh, a couple of nights there while they fixed our jet, uh, getting rocket attacked each night, which was, was uh, exciting. Uh, and when we, we left, we kind of said, well, we'll never complain about life on the aircraft carrier again. <laughs> shooting at us there. Um, but I think as an instructor, you take students to the, to the carrier for the first time. It's, it's a real test of your skills and your abilities. You go from, you know, throughout your experience in the military, kind of the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows that you know, we get to do a, a flyover for a major league baseball game in my hometown, which is you know, one of the, the coolest things that I had the chance to do. And then you have the lowest of the lows, which you know, I think the, the first day that I transitioned to the Growler, the first day of that, that training syllabus, one of our EA6Bs uh, was involved in a, a training mishap. So we had a crash. We lost two former students and, and my boss uh, at the time in that, in that accident. So those types of things you know, definitely stick with you, make it, I think, easier to take a step back in a lot of situations and realize that you know, whatever you're going through in any sort of certain instance, you know, probably isn't life or death that allows you to kind of prioritize level set take a step back kind of reevaluate the time and energy you might be spending on it and, and i think more than anything helps to helps to keep you grounded that's thanks for sharing and uh, i know for me things like that give you perspective that you carry with you the rest of your career adam can you can you walk us through your transition uh how did that go and uh what was it like yeah i, I always kind of joke that uh, I guess I effectively decided that flying the world's most advanced carrier-based electronic attack jets, flying combat missions, and taking off and landing from aircraft carriers wasn't exciting enough. So I uh, jumped ship to, to pursue an MBA in finance. Uh, I think the the how and why of that is probably a bit more nuanced and a bit more complicated. I think after two combat deployments, a lot of time away from home, when you factor in the deployments themselves, the, the deployment workups, the training detachments, and all the other time that you're away, uh, I kind of, I found myself probably at that critical juncture that I think a lot of folks do of, of being kind of halfway to retirement in the military and thinking, you know, do I take the department head bonus? Do I stick this thing out until retirement, collect a nice pension and, and live a, a very comfortable life? Or do I jump ship and, and try to tackle kind of a, a new challenge? And, and that was, that was kind of an exciting prospect to me. Uh, I had always wanted to start a family when I was you know, growing up. Both of my parents were, they were always at every event and recital and game and practice and you know, whatever it was that we were doing, uh, you know, we had that support network that was there watching. That was something that was to me very personally important to be able to provide you know, to my children. And I didn't want to, to be gone and miss big chunks of time uh, of their lives. So I think it was a combination of factors, a family lifestyle. I think wanting to challenge myself to do something a little bit different and you know, make that, that difficult choice to step away from the military. I think it's probably the case for most folks, uh, folks who go through the same thing that, you know, it's a combination of factors that, that ultimately lead to, to that. It, it makes total sense. Um, but it sounds like you decided to go the MBA route, right? 
Um, and a lot of veterans, they're not entirely sure what to do. Do I jump right into to work or do I go after that MBA? I, I went into work personally. Um, you know, thinking back, maybe it would have been better for me to get an MBA. Can you walk us through that calculus? Yeah, it's. Um, I felt like stepping into the corporate world presented a lot of unique challenges. Um, and I felt like I needed that stepping stone uh, and kind of a chance to bridge that gap to a certain extent. Uh, and it, it seemed to me like the best way to do that was to take advantage and leverage the GI Bill, uh, leverage the yellow ribbon benefits and go back to school and, and almost kind of buy myself a, a two year window uh, to kind of make that transition, get a feel for, OK, what is it in the corporate world that I want to do? Um, so I, I started my MBA kind of full time in, in New York. Uh, actually, my, my first day of the MBA program was my last day of, of active duty. Uh, and I think, you know, for folks looking to make that transition, right? I think it's really important to note that, you know, you have to do a lot of work ahead of time to make that transition as seamless as, as possible. You know, the, the day they hand you your, your DD-214, probably not the, the day to start thinking about your next move, right? You need to be calculated in that. And, and I think, you know, doing your homework ahead of time, uh, putting things in motion, you know, well ahead of time uh, is an important aspect. So I was probably... It was probably only four or five months into uh, my MBA when I got connected with a, another Navy reservist uh, who had actually gone through the, the Bank of America Veterans Associate Program uh, and had really good things to say about that. It's, it's the, the preeminent Wall Street uh, rotational program for transitioning military veterans and uh, focused on, on the financial services in, in New York. So I think still focused on the, the global banking and markets vertical there at Bank of America. So I think sales and trading investment banking. So I, I took that advice, even though I was only a couple of months into my MBA, uh, built out a network, met for coffee, drinks, you know, anyone who would, uh, I could connect with vet or others that would answer an email or, or you know, a LinkedIn message. And I was fortunate enough to, to get a shot to, to go through that program. Uh, so we did that actually concurrently while I was going through the, the MBA program, which was, uh, which was challenging, uh, to say the least. Um, but yeah, made that made that kind of step into the corporate world while I was actually going through the the MBA. Uh, had the chance to rotate in a couple of different areas on the investment banking side, uh, and then on the more kind of market centric side within a space called Prime Brokerage, uh, which was really interesting to me because it kind of caters towards these large institutional investors. So I think hedge funds, market makers, broker dealers. I thought it was kind of a fascinating space from both a product and a client perspective. Uh, and it ran on market hours, which was much more appealing to me from, from kind of a, a quality of life perspective. So rotated in the PB space, uh, landed a full-time role there uh, while still doing the full-time MBA. So I was able to switch my kind of MBA course load to nights and weekends while I was still doing the full-time kind of uh, Wall Street gig. And uh, I, I definitely don't recommend that to anyone. I had very, very little social life for about a year and a half as I was doing both concurrently. Uh, I have a, an absolute saint of a wife who uh, kind of put up with, with me through that process as well, but was able to get the MBA done, uh, I think in a semester longer than the rest of the cohort and uh, stuck with the bank for a little over, over five years, which was uh, a great gig. What were you doing in the PB at Bank of America? Yes, yeah, so I did uh, relationship and account management. So it was all hedge funds, market makers, broker dealers, agency broker dealers, uh, by and large. Uh, I spent a bunch of time uh, as part of the leadership team for our, our New York chapter of what was our uh, military veteran employee network. Uh, that was super rewarding. Got involved in the veteran associate program from kind of a, recruit, uh, a recruitment super day interview standpoint. 
Uh, so a great opportunity to kind of learn broader financial market space, uh, yeah. kind of maintain a strong kind of veteran network and presence. Um, you know, and, and I think we always kind of joke that you can never really walk through the lobby without bumping into another vet. And I think having that network, not only in the prime brokerage space, uh, but throughout the, the rest of the bank was, was really helpful to make that kind of military to, to civilian transition, uh, I think, as easy as it, as it could have been. I t totally agree. It's, uh, it's, it's a huge part. It was a huge part of my traditional finance experience. So, right, so you're doing great. Things are going fantastic at, at Bank of America. Um, but then at some point you started getting into crypto. C can you walk us through that? Yeah, it's uh, I think a funny thing kind of happened, right? The clients that we catered to in that prime brokerage business kind of kept bringing up this whole crypto and digital assets thing. I was I was admittedly not a not an early adopter. I was probably more a cynic than, than anything else, but it became abundantly clear to me that as those large institutional players, particularly the, the large uh, traditional institutional players in the space kind of continued to explore and continue to get into it, uh, that it was really poised to, to take off and, and I think gain the mass adoption. So I think has the ability as well to you know, potentially change the way that the financial system operates. So I, you know, made that move from safety. I think Jared Shaw, who you've had as a guest before, said something along the lines of, you know, I took the risk to try something new and, and build something. And that to me was, was very appealing. I had, I think done that to a certain extent in terms of, you know, making the move from active duty to Wall Street. I feel like there were you know, a lot of transferable skill sets uh, that I could take from the prime brokerage experience and then the Wall Street background into the crypto and the digital asset space, uh, and that they would likely only be, I think, additive to my kind of career progression, and at the very least would you know, hopefully make me more marketable in, in different ways. Uh, and I suppose I figured if it all kind of crashed and burned that, you know, I could walk away knowing that I took a calculated and, and fun risk and, and hopefully would be better positioned on the backside. So that's that's exactly what I did. I leveraged that experience from the military and, and, and a tier one kind of investment in retail bank to make that jump into the crypto space. I had a, a headhunter that had reached out, shared the role at Copper, and, and I kind of took it and, and ran with it. It's a, it's a company that's really well positioned, I think, for, for lasting success in the space. The idea of being part of something that's very much in build and grow mode was also very intriguing to me. So it was, you know, once that decision was made, it was kind of the whirlwind of, of trying to get as, as smart as I possibly could on the digital asset ecosystem. So it's, you know, taking the MIT blockchain and money open source course, devouring anything, you know, books or, or online literature that I could get my hands on, uh, focused on crypto and, and the digital asset space. So that was that became a, a quick focus. Awesome. Tell us about Copper. What is it? What does it do? And uh, like, how does it contribute to the ecosystem? Yep, absolutely. Uh, Copper is Right now, setting the institutional standard for, for digital assets, for those uh, that are unfamiliar, Copper's a, a digital asset infrastructure technology company. Uh, and the, the focus uh, there is helping those institutional investors that we talked about can safely acquire, trade, settle, and store crypto assets. Uh, so we provide a, a pretty comprehensive suite of custody, trading, and clearance settlement solutions, a governance framework, treasury and collateral management functionality, uh, and prime services. So the, the value prop there the big focus of, of our offering, right, is the idea of uh, reducing counterparty risk for our clients and, and really bringing a greater capital efficiency and, and operational efficiency to the, the digital asset markets. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, can you describe what it's like to be in business development? What's a typical day like for you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very different from 
the traditional space, right? The, the market structure is very different uh, at its at its most basic, right? New York Stock Exchange core trade hours are uh, are nine thirty to four every day, and then crypto trades twenty four seven. So it kind of means that you're you're on all the time. So you know, if I'm away from my laptop, I'm constantly checking my phone for email and Slack and Telegram and Discord and, and others. Uh, we do a, a fair bit of travel as well. So we're at the major conferences, money 2020, consensus, permissionless, Bitcoin Miami, all those kind of good spots, uh, which is a lot of fun. I, I enjoy that aspect. I miss that aspect of, uh, of you know, kind of the military and being able to get to, get to go and explore and, and see different places and do different things. Uh, unfortunately, the crypto crowd tends to, uh, I think, select some really good locations between Miami and Austin and Palm Beach and Vegas. So uh, they do a good job of, of mixing it up nicely. But uh, within the business development space, it's, it's generating new business for the firm. It's educating on market structure and landscape. And that's across the, the traditional finance space and, you know, and the, the crypto native firms as well, who, of course, have, have slightly different focuses. But you know, what I love about it, I think, is everything is, you know, every day is different, at least. Uh, we get the chance to collaborate internally on new business and different partnership opportunities. Uh, you know, when I joined Copper, it was, it was still kind of a, a mature startup, but it's still a startup in a sense. So you're, you're bootstrapping to a certain extent to, to get the job done, which, uh, you know, very multifaceted. That's what I really like about it. Uh, you know, it's not clock in, clock out, lather, rinse, repeat. Uh, and to me, that's, that's a lot of fun. That, that, that's fantastic. So let's pivot to uh, any kind of advice that you'd give to potentially veterans and their spouses that are transitioning. How do you, you mentioned a couple of the, the platforms that you're on, but what, what would you recommend to folks who want to get into the industry? What's the best way to do it? How do they develop like a technical acumen? How do they develop that expertise? How do they learn about crypto? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of different ways. I, I thought that MIT course was, was great. There's so much open source information that's available online. Uh, I think stepping into the space, networking is, is absolutely massive. Um, you know, having that knowledge, trying to figure out where do you fit into that ecosystem is, is really important, right? Uh, we kind of anchored on the idea of doing your homework ahead of time for the transition. I think that's, that's hugely helpful. You know, make sure that you end up in a place that you believe has room to grow. Uh, and that applies to the company and, and to the role that you're looking at. Do it early, do your homework, put the time in to really kind of critically think about, uh, about that. And, and as you do it, can I consider what's what interests you? Um, you know, building an understanding of I think what your existing skill sets are that you can leverage. I think the one of the neat things about this space, right, is as it's grown up and matured, right, market's grown considerably. It's you know, it's not just for developers or or computer science folks or coders or engineers. It's open to marketing, sales, business development, legal compliance, HR, strategy, finance, HR, all those kind of things uh, are kind of you know opportunities in the space which is which is exciting i think to me the mentorship piece was was big so i went through the american corporate partners uh, or the acp kind of mentorship setup i know we're looking to do something similar on, on the vita side there as well but i think for vets it's, it's knowing and understanding the value that you bring and, and how do you apply a new lens to it i think the virtual nature is beneficial to you know, military spouses and to, and to vets as well uh, there's just there's such an exceptional, I think, amount of resources available. I found it a little overwhelming personally, just because there's so much out there, but it, it really behooves, I think, the veteran and the spouse to you know, do your homework, spend time researching. Uh, you know, I spent a ton of time researching you know, the VA and the GI Bill and the Yellow Ribbon Program. Uh, there's so many different things out there. Voc Rehab, there's a lot of options. So there's a ton of open source information, research, Twitter, campus groups, clubs, all those types of things are are great resources to, to leverage. 
That's awesome. Th thanks for that feedback. So look, it's been a tough year or so for crypto markets between, you know, crypto winter, there's been some fraud, there's been, um, you know, just a, a lot of negative uh, in the space. But, you know, from my perspective, there's still a ton of promise, right? We're seeing incredible development coming online, very smart people continue to move into the space. Uh, and every day I see um, some just incredible innovation. But Adam, for you, what excites you about this thing we call Web3? I think, I think the infancy of the space uh, is probably what's most exciting, exciting to me, right? It's this nascent industry. It's this nascent market. The Satoshi white paper came out in 2008. So this is really only 14 or 15 years old. So it's still very, very young, right? Uh, you know, our traditional financial systems and our traditional markets work. Uh, they're dated. Uh, and there's so many different possibilities to, I think, improve the way that things are done. I think that's what probably excites me the most, right? You think about there's a lot of parallels to the dot-com boom, uh, but there's a lot of potential to change, I think, and really transform the way that we interact, the way that we live our lives. And that, I think, potential disruption to me is, is really cool. Uh, to your point, in, in my role, I get the opportunity to interact with some really, really smart, very interesting, driven, talented people. Uh, who are, are really doing and building some, some really clever and interesting stuff in the space. And to me, that's very appealing. Um, I think you know, a lot of the folks that do something similar to what you and I have done, which is that jump from the TradFi space into, into crypto, the, that whole space is rife with inefficiency, right? Operationally burdensome processes uh, that I think Web3 blockchain tech can, can really uh, you know, help redesign and, and make the entire ecosystem better across swift settlement cycles. There's a lot of opportunity to kind of optimize and, and disrupt, which, which is exciting. Like that idea of kind of changing the, the heart or the epicenter of the financial system is uh, something that's been mentioned on this podcast before, but that to me is, is really exciting. I think your perspective um, from working in PB is pretty, particularly informative because for people who don't understand, PB is a lot of the post-trade financing, infrastructure, um, it's a business, but it's, it's, it's really much more predicated on settlements and infrastructure and lending and borrowing. And you, that's where you really see inefficiencies, um, particularly in finance. So I totally get that. Um, is copper hiring right now? And if so, where are they hiring? Yeah, we, uh, we definitely are. Um, targeted roles, of course. Um, I think the best place for, for folks to go to check that out is, is copper.co slash company slash careers. Uh, I think we've got, you know, as I mentioned before, right, the space is, is open to, to a lot more than, than just the developers and the engineers. I think we have open recs across uh, audit, compliance, engineering, finance, product, and risk. So a lot of different opportunity. Uh, some of them are remote. Some of them are, are Europe-based. It's all kind of role dependent. Uh, so we'd definitely direct everyone to, to head to the website, take a look there, and, uh, and start applying. Awesome. And uh, I guess last question, Adam, how, how can people connect with you? Yeah, I mean, reach out directly. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Telegram at Adam Vanden Bogart. So very easy. Uh, emails adam.vandenbogart at copper.co. Uh, and then Chris, if we can drop these into the show notes, happy to, to connect with anybody who's interested in, uh, in connecting. I know you yourself say it regularly, right? Crypto needs veterans. Uh, I'm happy to be a resource for, for those kind of stepping into the space. I had an unbelievable support network that I had built up here in New York. Uh, you know, through veterans on Wall Street and, and just within the finance world in general here. Uh, it's, a, it's a small space, which is you know, not unlike the military in general. Uh, small community, it's a welcoming community. So uh, happy to be a resource for, for anybody stepping into the space. Awesome, buddy. Any last thoughts today? Um, 
now I think that there's just so many opportunities and programs for vets. It can be overwhelming, but take advantage of them. Uh, do your homework, GI Bill, Yellow Ribbon, and others. Uh, I think the networking piece is, is something that people harp on all the times. It was it was kind of a scary, dirty, hard thing to do early on is, is you're not maybe uh, very good at it or, or understand the point. Um, but as you do it more and more, you start to get more comfortable with the idea. You learn how to do it well. You learn how to start thinking about how you can help connect people, where you can provide value. Um, it's a, you mentioned it yourself, Chris, it's a lifelong skill set. I think uh, it's something that, that takes some practice and, and takes some getting used to. Uh, but once you once you kind of get the hang of it, it's it's hugely valuable. Uh, so so it's something that, that folks need to certainly prioritize, I think. Uh, but get involved, join the military, you know, veteran, uh, you know, employee network, join VITA, join VOWS, get get involved, uh, offer your time and, and your services. Uh, I think you know, the more that we get veterans in the space, uh, the more that that community continues to grow. So there's there's so much opportunity outside the the military. I think you just follow your passion, find what's interesting to you and then pursue it. Great thoughts, Adam. So amazing to have you on the show today. We really, really appreciate you coming on. Um, again, just pearls of wisdom everywhere. And again, I also wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, uh, for doing what you do and, and we're deeply appreciative of your support. For those interested in learning more about Vita, please connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Please pick me on Twitter at PerkinsCR97. Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.